You are listening to Pastor Don Cherry from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded on Sunday, February 27, 2022. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find us on all things social at svbcfamily. And I'll take your Bibles this morning, if you wouldn't go to the second chapter of Acts. How many of you remember... That was back in the 60s. How many of y'all were alive back in the 60s? Let me see. Okay. All right. Most everybody here. But you might remember there was a, there was a movie back then. Had a lot of stars in it at the time. I think Sid Caesar was in it, Ethel Merman, uh, Phil Silvers, just many of the ones that we would readily recognize that. But it was called It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Y'all remember that? And, all, and they were all hunting for treasure under the big W. Remember that? that and it was all about their, their journey and their escapades to get to that place. And they went through everything you can imagine. I mean, ups and downs and this and that. It truly was a mad, mad, mad adventure, okay, getting out to that place. Well, I'm just wondering if we couldn't kind of similarly say that about our world today. You know, we look around at what is going on in, in, our, in our world. We look at the headlines. We read the headlines. We read the stories and such. And you know what? There is no one that is not affected by what's happening today. No one at all. I mean, there's no one that's not affected by the gas and food prices. I told our Sunday school class this morning and all that I filled up yesterday. And normally what would fill my car up got me about two-thirds of a tank. Okay. Just going up. And they say out in California that it's up over four or five dollars a gallon, you know, up in that place, you know, and, and, and so this is affecting everybody, food prices. I think we're seeing the noose being tightened a little bit more when it comes to freedom of speech and religion in our country. You know, if you don't speak, you know, the party narrative or the narratives out there and everything, you just get cut off. Okay? You just get canceled out, or whatever like that. And I firmly believe that we're going to see more um, uh, persecution, more di- difficult times as religious people, in particular Christians, in this country. Um, with the way that inflation is going, um, I don't know how many of you keep an eye on the stock market and everything, but it's been kind of tanking a little bit. I think it had a rise here not too long ago. But nonetheless, there are those of you, your retirement is based on what that stock market does. Okay, so let's face it, you know, if it goes down, that hurts you. All right, we're we're all affected one way or another. And then not only that, but just what I call the shameful dividing of races, you know, that is in our country. Now, you know, I've already told you, I believe there's only one race, and that's the human race, simply because we can all trace our ancestors back to the boat, you know, biblically speaking, okay? Uh, biblically speaking, in that way. But yet we see the constant division of the various different groups and all that are here in our nation and all pitting, pitting us one against another, which, if we stop and think about it and everything, that is prophesied in the end times. It's called nation will rise against nation. It's talking about the ethnic within nations and everything that are turning on each other. Matter of fact, what's going over there in Russia and Ukraine right now, they're all Russians and everything, but yet they're turning on each other. You see, and we're going to see more of that. You know, and as the Bible unfolds, as prophecy unfolds, we're going to see more of that. So with all of that going on, okay, in our culture, with all that going on in our world today, you know, what do we need to do as God's people? 
What do we need to do as God's people? And I just want to bring out this morning, keeping our eyes on the ball. Keeping our eyes on the ball. Keeping our eyes on what purpose is. Keeping our eyes focused on Jesus Christ, high and lifted up and rightfully adored. And I'm not saying that as some panacea. I'm not saying that as a, you know, Pollyannish, you know, type of thing. I'm talking about it for, real from the scriptures and everything. The Bible tells us we keep our eyes focused on him. This world's going to change, but according to Malachi, God doesn't change. Everything. So we need to stay focused on what his purpose is for us. Or you know what? We're going to get distracted like everybody else. Like everybody else. You know, we need to keep our eyes focused on Christ. Now, Acts chapter 2, you all know what Acts chapter 2 is about, don't you? Okay? Somebody tell me, what's Acts chapter 2 about? Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. Okay? And we do know it is the day of Pentecost, but what often gets focused on in Acts chapter 2? Well, oftentimes in Acts chapter 2, the focus is tongues. The focus is healing. The focus is miracles, such as like that. And I'm not slighting that, okay? Please, please don't get me wrong. I'm not slighting that in any way. But often we read, in particular us Gentiles, okay? We read right over that word Pentecost and don't consider what Pentecost is all about. That Pentecost, this feast of Pentecost, was a fulfillment of Scripture. If you remember back in the Old Covenant, God gave the nation of Israel seven feasts, the, the, seven feasts, okay, that they were to observe on a yearly basis. And three of them, every male Jew from around the empire had to come to Jerusalem, okay, to observe this feast. Pentecost was one of them, along with Passover and Feast of Tabernacles, all right? Those had to be done in Jerusalem. But these were all pictures. These feasts were all pictures of a future happening. And that's what I want to kind of deal with here with Pentecost, which in the Hebrew, it's called Shavuot. Everything, but the Feast of Pentecost, and I want to look at the meaning of this Jewish feast. And so basically, there are two things we want to look at here, and that is first fruits and the harvest, or Passover and Pentecost, okay, and how they tie in to what is taking place here in Acts chapter 2. So when we think of Passover, and we are approaching that time, I think Easter's in um, April, and all this year in April, and all we refer to it as Easter, but yet it is Passover time, okay? It is the feast of Passover that God gave to the nation of Israel. So Passover had to do with Messiah's death, okay? It had to do with the death, had to do with sacrifice, and then also his resurrection, okay? Because he didn't stay in the grave. He arose from the grave. And so when we think of his death, the Bible says, except a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it doesn't give life, all right? And any of you who have ever planted a garden, you know that. You've got to plant that seed. What does that seed do? It basically dies, and then it gives life to sprouting, okay? Well, that's exactly what the Bible is referring to Christ as the corn of wheat, that he died in order that we might have life, okay? Because here's the thing, and we know if Jesus Christ just died and that was it, you and I are hung, 
Okay, because there is nothing to look forward to. And so Christ, that corn of wheat, fell in the ground and died for you and I. And then his resurrection represented what's called the first fruits. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In other words, Christ needed to rise first before anybody else could. Okay? If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, you and I are not going to rise. But the fact that he did, we have hope in the resurrection and that we will rise also to be with God eternally. Okay? Are, are you following me? Okay? I haven't got you confused yet. Okay. Let's go on. So remember I said that Feast of Passover and Pentecost complement one another because um, uh, 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 Pentecost took place 50 days after Passover. Okay, 50, Penta. Okay, five, you got that? Okay, it took place 50 days after. And in the Old Covenant, it was the giving of the first fruits of the crop. Remember the first fruits? So the first fruits of the crop were given okay, in, in guarantee of a greater harvest later on, all right? The first fruits were brought, the first fruit of the wheat, first fruit of the corn, the first fruit of barley and all was brought with the guarantee and hopes of a greater harvest later on, Passover, Pentecost, all right? Now, in the New Testament, Messiah, as the first fruits of the harvest because of his resurrection, guarantees a future harvest, now listen, of souls, of souls, all right? Whereas the old covenant dealt with grain, okay, that was a picture of a future harvest of souls. What was that future harvest? Well, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 came to faith in Christ, 5,000 came to faith in Christ, and then after that, they just quit counting, and there has been a 2,000-year Guarantee harvest of souls all because of the first fruits of the resurrection of Christ. Okay? You seen where I'm coming from on here? Oftentimes we overlook the word Pentecost and we see these other things that are taking place rather than realize that Pentecost was simply a fulfillment, a prophecy. It was a fulfillment of a shadow given back here and it became a reality here. Okay, and that's how the Bible works in the Old and New Testament. So, in the future meaning, <clears throat> there is a future meaning here. That believers, you and I, are first evidence, James chapter 1, that God will redeem the universe on a grand scale. Revelation 21 and 22. You and I are the first fruits of that. Our redemption is the first fruits that God is going to redeem. And when we read Revelation 21 and 22, what does God do? He totally renews everything, doesn't he? He renews the earth. He renews everything. And he makes it new. And it will be a world with no sin, no sorrow, no sadness, no sickness, no any of those things, you see. So here's the thing that I wanted to point out on that in Acts chapter 2. Don't overlook don't overlook little things, okay? We oftentimes focus on all these peripherals. And again, I'm not saying that they're not important. But oftentimes we say, look there, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. We skip right over that. Not understanding the importance of the Feast of Pentecost. And how Acts chapter 2 was a fulfillment 
of the shadows and the prophecy that was given in the old, you see. The harvest of souls that we want to look at there in chapter 2. Now, as we move on, I want you to look down to... By the way, did I, did I confuse y'all? I hope not. Tried to explain it as simple as that. The point being is don't overlook things. Don't overlook things. When you see something like Pentecost, you see something like Tabernacles, you see, go study them out because it'll help you just see your Bible come to life even more and tie in the old and the new covenant in. I just get excited about that stuff. You know, I don't know where you're at on anything, but man, I think it's neat, you know, think, learning the things of the Word of God. And so in Acts chapter 2, if you move down, if you would please, to verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and breaking of bread, and in prayers. Um, I, I preached this message before with intentionality because I think it's good that we're always reminded of why we as the church is here. All right? And we need to understand we are here because it's God's purpose, not our purpose. Okay? I want us to understand that. And all we are here today as the church for God's purpose. Okay? And so we need to look at what is the purpose that he laid down that we as the New Testament church need to be focusing on. Now, Christ is the foundation. Amen? He is the solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Well, on that foundation, on that rock, I believe there are four pillars of support underneath the church, all right? And that is what we're looking here in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. Now I want you to notice here in all that the Bible says that how do they continue? They continued what? Steadfastly. They continued intently. They continued uh, desirously. And all this was something that was, this was what they did, all right? It wasn't like, oh, I think we need to go study the Word of God. Oh, hey, you know what? I, man, I haven't been in my Bible for a week, I guess. But no, they intentionally and intently looked into the Word of God and learned the Apostles' Doctrine. Now, you might say, so what's the Apostles' Doctrine? And everything, why are they teaching the Apostles' Doctrine? So where did the Apostles' Doctrine come from? You just go back to Acts, or I'm sorry, to Matthew chapter 28. Okay, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he told the church to go and make disciples. You're to baptize them. And then what? Teaching them. Now listen. Teaching them to what? Somebody say it. Observe. Okay? What are, what, what are they to teach and to observe? Whatsoever I, Jesus said, have commanded you. So the apostles' doctrine was simply what Christ taught them. Okay? Because remember, the New Testament wasn't written out here. Okay, that didn't come until middle, late of the first century or even, you know, early in the second century. So this was all orally handed down. So they took what they learned of Christ and they communicated that unto others. That was the Apostles' Doctrine. And that's what we and our churches hopefully do today is we take the Word of God and we communicate it to the people. And notice it didn't say anything about the Apostles' opinion. It didn't say anything about the apostles' preference. It said the apostles' doctrine from the teaching that they received from Jesus Christ. Folks, that's what people need today. People don't need to hear what I have to say. People need to hear what God has to say, you see. And that's the same thing within our witness, too. 
Don't ever tell people, hey, you need to come to church and listen to our pastor. No, don't, don't do that. And then if they got questions, be ready to answer those questions. That's why you're here. But that's not going to happen unless you're digging into the Word of God. What does the Bible say about itself and all when it comes to... And you know, the Bible doesn't say anywhere we should read it. It does say we study it. It does say we search it. Okay? It does say that we meditate upon it. That's getting in. That's digging in. Why? So that we may be able to give answer of the hope that is in us when we're asked that. You see. You've heard me say many times. You've heard me. Somebody comes and asks you a question. And I think, well, hey, 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 go to my preacher. No. Don't you do that. You be ready to give answer. Because they're asking you. They're not asking me. You see. Folks, we live in a day today when, look. We better be ready to that because people got questions out there. People are looking at the same headlines you and I are. They're listening to the same radio broadcast you and I are, okay? They're watching the same nightly, well, I don't watch the nightly news, but they're watching the same nightly news you and I are, okay? They've got questions. So here's the thing. Hey, you need to come. I'll, I'll take you, and my pastor will answer those for you. What if between that time and something like that, they run off the road and die? Amen or oh me. You understand what I'm saying? We've got to be ready. We've got to be ready. The Apostles' Doctrine. What does the Word God say about, the, uh, uh, about itself? Psalm 119.89. Forever thy word is settled in heaven, O Lord. John 17.17. 17, Your word is truth. Psalm 119.105. The Word of God is a lamp under our feet and a light under our path. And then Romans 10.17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by doing good works. By what? By the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is what has the answer. The Word of God is the truth that people need. And then we see, secondly, they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, number two, in fellowship. The word fellowship here is a word koinonia, which means be actively engaged with other with the same heart. Actively engaged with the same heart. The book of Proverbs says that a house divided against itself can't stand. We understand that. Abraham Lincoln used that verse and during the Civil War he said, Hey, listen, we don't get this thing together and everything like that. We're not going to stand. We're going to fail. Point being, a house that's divided can't stand at all. And folks, listen, I understand the differences that we have and everything, but we must, we must, we must. Have the same heart when it comes to the purpose of God. We've got to have the same heart. If not, we won't stand. We won't stand and we'll be divided. Having the same heart, one accord, and that one accord is based on a relationship with the Father. Look, the Bible says if you're out of fellowship with the Father, you know what? You're out of fellowship with one another. Okay? You've got to have this right before this here is going to be right. So you know what? That makes it an individual thing, doesn't it? that every one of us got to make sure that we're walking as God would have us to walk. Because that's the only way we can be in fellowship, one with another, you see. My father-in-law, and I think I, I, I told you this, but he used to interpret this as we're all fellows in the same ship, you know. 
In other words, we got a singular goal where we're going. You know, you get a bunch of people on a ship and some say, no, I want to go this way. And others say, I want to go this way. And others say, I want to go back. You got mutiny on your hands. But when they're all saying, hey, here's where we need to get, then guess what? You're going to get there at all. That we will live as a church, love as a church, and labor as a church in his word together, you see. Number three, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in what? The breaking of bread. Now, this had to do with communion. Communion. Unfortunately, many churches today have made communion kind of a right. It's just something we do, you know. We do it weekly, we do it monthly, we do it whatever we do it and everything. You know, but it just becomes a rite, okay? It just becomes part of the ritual that we go through when we come together. And that's not what the Lord intended. He intended it to be a memorial as to what He did for you and I, right? When we take this, what do we do? We were remembering the blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf. We were remembering the body of Christ that was broken on our behalf. It's a memorial. And it's not to be taken lightly or flippantly. But it's a time of communion. It's a time of memorial. It's a time of remembrance, what Christ did for us. And you know, that kind of goes along with the Middle Eastern mentality when it came to hospitality, because meals were very important. Those were times to gather around a table. Those were a time to converse. Those were a time to build relationships, you see. And so this resonated with the hearers who understood this about what the Lord's table is about and the gathering around of that. And folks, we need, to, we need to keep that in mind when we participate of that and just also spending the time together as brethren in Christ, you see. This just, this just you know, improves, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term, our fellowship one with another. When we remember what Christ has done for us, okay, it gets, the, it gets eyes off self. And it gets it focused where it needs to be, and that is Christ. Now, the last, he said, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, he said, prayer. Dr. Jeremiah kind of emphasized that this morning in his lesson. And listen, I got to tell you, folks, and all those of you who aren't coming to Sunday school, you're missing a blessing. And all this is some tremendous teaching, Dr. David Jeremiah, what show, you know, what are we going to do next? And all just bringing everything that's happened in focus, Bible prophecy. I want to encourage you, you know, at least for the next seven weeks, make it, make it a point. If you can get out an hour early, come on. Everything, it will be well worth it. You're going to enjoy that. So in prayer, and by the way, prayer is not fourth on the list, Okay. The Apostles' Doctrine first, and then Fellowship second, and then break, Breaking of Bread third, and then... No, they're all equal, okay? These are four equal pillars within, with what the church is to observe and what undergirds the church of equal emphasis. How many of you this morning, you can remember, if you're old enough, you can remember where you were on 9-11? You just don't forget that, do you? It is as clear a picture in front of me right now as it was 21 years ago. I mean, I can see everything unfolding where I was at. But if you remember, 9-11 took place on a Tuesday, right? Took place on a Tuesday. Well, the, the church I was pastor at the time was a typ typical traditional church like you were all used to. Had a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, okay? 
And Wednesday night we called prayer meeting, which is really Bible study and then a little bit of prayer. You know, just to be honest with you, what happened. But in September, everything, our Awana program hadn't started up yet. So typically on a Wednesday night, and all, we would have 12, maybe 15 people there. We'd have, you know, every Wednesday, especially through the summer. Okay, that's what we'd have. Well, at the time, the Wednesday right after 9-11, my office was located kind of in a loft, you know, up in the backside of the church. And so I was up there getting ready for Wednesday, you know, usually get there early. Well, when I came down, you know, and I came in through the back of the auditorium, came in, literally that auditorium was full. It was full. We sat about, you know, 250 people. There was every bit of 200 people there. You know, it kind of took me back there for a minute. Some people were weeping, others talking and all like that. No singing, no Bible lesson. They just wanted to pray. Their folks came, they got around the altar. They grabbed somebody. They went off to the side room and prayed. They prayed there right there. We just prayed. That's all we did. And why was that? Because the day before, our nation was attacked. And what, some 3,000 people lost their lives like that. We all remember it. We see it. We see the planes flying into the towers. We see all that. Man, we got to pray. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for the families who have lost loved ones. Yes, let's pray for that. The following Wednesday, any idea how many we had? About 18, 20 maybe 25. Why is prayer a fire extinguisher hanging on the wall? You know, we often don't even notice that thing, do we? I'll bet you right now I could ask you where the fire extinguishers are here and you wouldn't know. Because we don't pay attention to them, do we? But if over in this furnace room or that furnace room we saw smoke coming out from under the thing, we'd for sure want to know where they're at, don't we? We want to grab it. We've got to use it. And sadly, that is the way we, many Christians, see prayer. It's only there in a time of need. Instead of realizing that prayer is our constant communion with our Father. When He says pray, Without ceasing, he understands you can't pray 24-7. You can't be up here at this altar 24-7 praying. But we can be in a mindset of prayer, can't we? We can be in a mindset of focus on our Father. That's what prayer is. It's communing, communing with him, not just communicating, but communing with our Heavenly Father. But often, and we wonder, why churches seem so powerless today. Or maybe why in our lives and everything, we see things happening and everything. And God, where are you? God, what's going on? Why this? Why that? Could it be a result that our, that our prayer life just stinks? That our prayer life is simply when something goes wrong? Is that what it's become, folks? Listen. I don't know how much time we have left. Dr. Jeremiah dealt with this morning. You know, there's all kinds of prophecies and signs to look at to the second coming of Christ in there. 
The whole book of Matthew chapter 24 is related to that. You read that, Jesus, because they asked him, what would be the sign of your coming? And he laid that out for them. But here's the thing. There's not a single prophecy that we can look at or a sign that we can look at. I shouldn't say prophecy. A sign that we can look at when it comes to the rapture. It's just not there. So you know what that tells me? We're close. If we are seeing Matthew 24 start to unfold behind, before us, which tells us that Jesus is coming physically back to the earth, and the rapture is seven years before that takes place, how close are we? Tomorrow? Next month? I don't know, because it's not in Scripture. That's why Jesus always said, look up. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. Brethren, we got to keep our eyes on the Father. We got to keep our eyes on Christ. We've got to understand we're here for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ and everything. Not just when we come together as Senator Valley Baptist Church, but in each and every day of our lives. Because we are the church, amen? We are the church. And we've got to be ready to give answer when asked of the hope that is within us. We can't sit back and wait. We've got to be ready. Let's not be afraid of the times. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. Let's not be afraid to change methods during the time. We're not going to change doctrine. We're not going to change statement of faith. But there may be some other things we have to change, so let's be willing to do that. If it doesn't go against Scripture. And then let's never forget, and I'm going to ask with the heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Let's never forget who we belong to and why we are here. And I pray that that will be foremost in your thoughts, in your mind, as we continue to move forward for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Lord, may it become even more precious to us. May it be our desire that through the Word to draw closer unto you, to observe, to put to practice, to put to use. Lord, I just ask that your Spirit move. Speak to hearts this morning. Maybe there's somebody here that needs to trust you. Lord, I pray that you'll touch their heart. Maybe there's some folks here, Lord, just going through whatever things that life may be throwing at them. Lord, may we rely on you. May we cast our burden before you, knowing that you love and care for us. And Father, help us to leave from here, rejoicing that this is the day you've made to be glad in it. We thank you in Christ's name.